right, welcome back to Firewall. I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. Today is a Tuesday episode, so with us is our friend and producer, Hugo Lindgren. Hugo, how's it going? Good. Bradley, you came in here all excited this morning because you said you'd done all this preparing over the weekend. Yeah, and you, you know, it's funny. These... So I bet this episode ends up totally sucking because I'm overprepared. Sometimes I wander in with, you know, much less preparation and it ends up being a really good episode. So we'll see, but I'm excited to talk about the things that we have today. So, so here's what we got. Um, Kai Sinat. Alvin Bragg, uh, tech valuations. Kai Sinat, just tell us who Kai Sinat is. Kai Sinat is a Twitch streamer. So I'll just jump right into this thing. Okay. So um, <laughs> right so he's, he's a very popular tr- Twitch streamer. I am aware, I've been aware of him because I have a 14-year-old son who follows Twitch streamers and YouTube streamers and TikTok and everything else. And Lyle is something of a gamer. So, so uh, Twitch is a, a, a platform for gamers. Specifically. And, right, okay. And Lyle said to me, so the, the, the Kai Sanat announces on Twitch that he's going to have a uh, event and giveaway of PS5s in Union Square Park on Friday afternoon. And Kai Sanat is a 21-year-old African-American guy, originally from the Bronx, but lives in Atlanta, right? Yeah, and very, very, very popular. I, Lyle's talked about him before. I, I even knew He's, a, he's a totally winning. I just watched a bunch of his yeah, videos this guy. morning. Yeah, yeah. So... He announces this. Lyle tells me this is happening. He and his friend Will are going to go. And I'm like, all right, sure, whatever. And then um, as I happened to be at the time when the whole thing was getting going in an Uber and the driver was listening to 1010 Wins and the reporter was talking about the event, but in the context that a riot, according to them, had broken out in New Square Park and people are throwing bottles and jumping on top of cars and all of this stuff. And so I call Lyle, and he's like, yeah, yeah it's, I'm, I'm, he's kind of at the fringes. He's, he's kind of a cautious kid anyway, so I wasn't su- super worried about him being in the middle of it, and he left after a while. Did he, he bring any fine. firecrackers? Just a few. <laughs> um, like some rum and candles, and that's it. <laughs> Maybe some of those like little sparklers. Um, so, but but here's the— That's a joke, by the way. Uh, I'm, I'm, as Lyle did not bring any firecrackers, obviously. No. Okay. no although, Just saying that. Although too. he does enjoy them, to be clear, um, <laughs> as any 14-year-old boy would. So— but he, here's the point. So then the, the, the press goes crazy. Front pages of the Post and Daily News Saturday, riot in Union Square Park. Um, you know, Lyle claims that they are overinflating what happened. But e- either way, here's my question, which is if Lyle knew about it and if I knew about it, why didn't the Parks Department know about it? Now, I understand that Kai Sinat didn't apply for a permit, but we live in a world where information is disseminated instantaneously to millions or even hundreds of millions or billions of people and you can't not be able to follow those channels of communication right and so i don't know if you remember when silicon valley bank went down a proposal that i put out there was um it was pretty modest but it would just require the platforms to notify the fed when there were certain spikes in volatility on stocks of financial institutions and then congressman richie torres um, adopted that idea, and he came on our podcast and talked about the legislation he chose to do it. We'll see if it ever goes anywhere. Um, I think there needs to be something similar uh, on a local level, which is, you know, a city council law that would say, you know, these platforms, if aware of a planned event, you know, in the five boroughs, has a notification an obligation to notify. You know, you can just give them a point of contact at the city, right? It doesn't have to be like you figure out which agency is relevant here. The parks and police are going to be the relevant ones most of the time. Um, and at the same time, I think the city has to have somebody monitoring all of these channels. And it's not just Instagram 
and Facebook and Twitter, which, you know, Twitter they check because of the politics, but it's it's Snap, it's, you, it's YouTube, it's TikTok, it's Twitch, it's Discord, you know, and there's probably five more that I've never even heard of, right? And both ways, the city's got to be monitoring these channels of communication, these platforms. I think you got to put some obligation on the platform to be responsible to notify the city. Uh, and I'm talking about New York City, though this could really apply anywhere. Um, and it just seems like this, this could have been prevented. It's insane to me that my 14-year-old kid knew about it. I knew about it because my 14-year-old kid knew about it. And the fucking Parks Department had no idea. But why would they have any reason to think it was this big a deal? Like, well, like it doesn't it's, matter. It's not you, obvious. You, well, so you send out, you, you send you out like have, 500 cops to, and it turns you out to five, be... Uh, well, look, so I, as, as you know, I've worked at the Parks Department for four right. years, right? So you need a permit for any sort of gathering right. in the park. So when there's going to be an event without a permit... That's already a red flag. Red flag two, wildly popular, 21-year-old, this Twitch streamer whose fans are all teenagers. Another red flag. And all that would happen is if they at least were notified of this or if they caught it in advance, yeah, you, you might have even 500 cops. But by the way, that's what ended up probably going there anyway. But, but you need you would have put enough cops in Union Square to just put a stop to it before it really got started. What, and what what did get started? I guess I don't understand the whole. So they, they did they hand out any free no, stuff? No, par- apparently did not hand anything. Did they have actually. any free stuff? Unclear, but it sounds like no. Right. But I guess just I don't know that it was that people were rioting because they were angry that there were no free PS5s. I think they were just excited about Kai Sinat. Right. But it's... they were doing things like and and there's photos of this you know in the media. They were jumping on parked cars, jumping on moving cars. They were standing. You know the in Union Square the the subway entrance on kind of the. Broad, no, the like university and 14th yeah, yeah, corner. Yeah, that nice little like, sort of shelter. Sta- whatever yeah. that is. People <laughs> were standing on that. People were throwing bottles. So, you know, it definitely wasn't a good situation, but it was a preventable, avoidable situation. And this is another example where the schism between government and tech sometimes is so severe that problems occur that didn't have to be problems. Yeah, I guess I'm. I guess I'm a little uh, doubtful that that a whole bunch of cops just turning up there at the same time as the kids would have necessarily like taken care of the situation because that you had thousands of kids coming, right? So it's like suddenly the the cops just feeling, hey, get out of here, and they're like, well, okay, we'll get out of here. No, like, but well, first of all, what they could have done was gotten Kai Sanat out of there right away, and then once it was known that he wasn't there, the crowd would have dissipated a lot faster. Number one, maybe. Number two. Um, look, it, it just seems to me if you have 50 cops on the front end cuffing people who were throwing bottles, you're going to solve the problem a lot faster than waiting for thousands of people throwing bottles to show up and then dealing with it. Yeah. So the the mayor came out with a, a statement saying that this was really on the parents, right? So that, that he, I, he had an experience, I guess, similar to yours where his son or he texted his son. I don't know what it, his son wasn't there, but he texted his son saying, "Hey, where are you? You should be, you know, you shouldn't be there or whatever." Well, um, I knew that Lyle. He didn't ask my permission. I mean, I guess I could have forbade him to go, but I knew the day before that he was going to this. And you know what? It is reasonable to. But assume- did, it, did you think like, oh my God, there's going to be thousands of people there throwing bottles? No, because, right. because what I assumed was having again spent four years at the fucking parks department that. There's a process, and Kai Sinat went through the process, and the Parks Department was aware of it and prepared for it, in which case it wouldn't be a problem. I used to be in charge of all of these events at the Parks Department. We didn't have these kinds of problems because we were prepared. So um, I don't think the mayor's right. I don't think it's on the parents. It is reasonable to expect that his administration is doing their job on top of things, knows what they're doing, and to put that responsibility on parents when he and his team failed is wrong. 
Now, to me, I, I, the the one troubling aspect of it, so I lived just a couple blocks away and I was out there. I didn't go into Union Square, but I was on Broadway and seeing the kids. And it was funny because it was both, it seemed kind of innocent. Like there were definitely kids with their, you know, they were carrying book bags, I guess, to take home free stuff or something. Like there, were, there it wasn't, it wasn't like really like down a couple blocks south of uh, Union so you Square. Think, you think Lyle was right when he said it's overstated? Well, I mean, it depends. I mean, if you look at some of the pictures, sure, depending on where you're standing. But the, if you were, you know, driving through Union Square in your car and they jumped on top of your, you know, on the top of the hood of the yeah, car, that would good. be that would be scary. Yes. So, and that did seem to be happening. Um, I, I probably there was a lot less of it than the videos suggested, right? There were probably some isolated cases of kids getting out of hand. Um, but the the what what struck me was that precisely for the in the way you described that this thing kind of happens this pretty significant social force kind of turns out for like what appears to be a tiny reason, right? This this wasn't some big agent provocateur like trying no. to screw things up. No, and by up. the way, it also shows you the power. It's funny because I was, you know, we're doing a, uh, hold on, first of all, listener Edward Banner <laughs> wrote in last week and asked, he was said really nice things about, about our podcast, but said that I interrupt Hugo too often while he's trying to ask a question and that it drives him a little crazy. He's right. I've realized it too. I just did it again. Um, Edward, I can't promise you that I won't do it well, going I think forward, you were actually, but, but in I this will case, be mindful of, all, of it. First of all, thank you to Edward. I, we appreciate feedback of all kinds. Um, but but uh, but I, actually, I think you were going w with the answer where, where I was going with the question, which is, there is this thing because of because of the internet, because of these social yeah. media platforms, where big things can happen quite quickly. I I, th I think your point, which is they need to be monitoring it and reacting to it in advance or at least simultaneously, these things happening is is is, yeah. is, is, is totally right. But the but the fact that like something can spiral out of control that doesn't have any real evil intent. There was no like oh we're gonna we're gonna fuck up New York. No, you know, there was nothing like that. Certainly not on a, a mass scale. But there could be. Right. And so, well, or let, let me take it in a slightly different direction. Okay. So as, as you know, um, we're doing a book on mobile voting and I have to submit it to the publisher by October 1st. So I spent the entire weekend locked in my apartment writing. I think I banned out like 9,000 words in two days. And one of the things I was writing about, because the book is effectively a letter to Gen Z and Gen Alpha saying, here's why things are so bad. Here's what's take to change them. It's going to require you and that the chapter I was writing or one of the chapters I was writing over the weekend is here's why you're well equipped to do it. And then I gave lots of examples of, you know, the Sunrise Movement and Maxwell Frost and all of these different sort of successful David Hogg instances of Gen Z activism. But part of the point I was making is their ability to educate people, reach people, mobilize people for good or for bad is so vastly greater than any generation ever had. I mean, I think about like when we were in college, if you had wanted to have a meeting of some kind, you had to put up a flyer or a poster, hope somebody walked by it, noticed it, wrote it down, then showed up physically at the place where you were gonna have the meeting, and you had like four people, um, as opposed to, you know, a, a Twitch streamer just says, hey, I'm showing up in Union Square, and, and thousands show up, and so- So the, wait, are you gonna get Kai Sinet to come on board for mobile voting? I hadn't thought about that, but that would be cool. Um, <laughs> but I think generally speaking, this generation, because of the technology and their fluency with it as digital natives, gives them the ability to have a vastly greater political impact um, than uh, other generations. And if you were to combine that with mobile voting, so they could not only learn and organize online, but also vote uh, for politicians securely online, um, then this generation would have a much, much bigger voice 
in policy, which means things that they want to see resolved. Because I think what we've learned, at least what I've learned from the, the research that I've been reading is, you know, it's not a particularly partisan generation. It's a little complicated because they've never really known the Republicans without Donald Trump. So that confuses the, the issue to a certain extent. But it's more of an issue-based generation, right? They want school shootings to stop. They don't want to die because of climate change, right? Um, things like that. And so um, you can, if, if they were significantly better mobilized and could vote by using the technology, that would change the political inputs, which would force our politicians to, instead of just being rewarded for fighting with each other and getting nothing done, to actually reach consensus and compromise on both sides of the aisle on these kinds of issues. Um, two, <laughs> two things that were disturbing to me that I realized over the course of the weekend as well. So, because um, I was literally, didn't, didn't leave the apartment from Friday evening until uh, I came out to the studio this morning. Really? Yeah. You didn't leave the apartment? No. You didn't run to the store or nothing? I mean, it's New York City, man. I just ordered shit in. Okay. Um, wow. Want you didn't to, go to exercise, walk around, nothing? Uh, nothing. Well, I have a Stairmaster. I did it in okay. the apartment. Great. Um, I noticed two things that really indicate that I am about to turn 50. One is I found myself listening to Billy Joel Radio on Spotify. Oh, my God. And, and be like, this is really good. And like eventually I okay, regained my... Okay, what's your my, favorite Billy Joel song? Let's hear it. Vienna. Um, okay. My, I eventually regained my senses and ended back in my normal... I like war. Captain Jack. It's a good song. More normal, like Fat Boy Slim Radio. But here was even the worst one. So... Um, I live in Soho, and uh, across the street, a couple of low-rise buildings, say five, six stories, and there was on one of the roofs a party of like, I don't know, 30, 40, 20-somethings, right? There's no, there's no like barrier, right? and they're all right on the fucking ledge, and then they set up a beer pong table right on the ledge. And I am anxious. Are you panicked? <laughs> yeah, I'm really fucking anxious because I'm like, someone's going to fall. Like, this just seems yeah, like a terrible someone idea. Is fall. And so, like, I'm writing and then peeking out the window every couple of minutes. Waiting for the body to hit I, the You hit know, the when I went to bed before they did. Um, I did hear sirens during the night, but A, it might have been a dream because I was thinking about it. Or B, it is New York City, so could have been sirens for any reason. There was not any police tape the next day, so I think that they made it okay. But <laughs> it was the fact that I was like genuinely anxious about it, I was like, holy shit, I'm getting old. Well, no, I, I mean, that sounds just like good common sense to me. But anyway, yes. Um, so you also want to talk about Alvin Bragg and his um, uh, why he should not proceed with his prosecution of, uh, of Donald Trump. Yeah, or, or at least not proceed with it until the other ones are done. Okay. So, so Bragg... I guess we should just back up. Bragg is yeah. the Manhattan DA. I guess everybody knows that who listens to this podcast. Right. Alvin Bragg's Manhattan DA. He indicted Donald Trump in March on charges of falsifying business records, which was around paying off hush money to Stormy, to Stormy Daniels. Daniels so that his affair with her wouldn't come out, which it did anyway. Amazing that he was ever worried about that. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird. Like, I think it probably helped him with his supporters. But, but um, now we've got indictments by the U.S. government on effectively treason and espionage. And we expect in the next week or so to see indictments from Fulton County, Georgia, um, on over, trying to overturn the election, which is effectively a, a form of treason. It seems to me that the case that needs to be made to the American people is that this is a guy who literally sparked a riot, sparked a coup, and they didn't charge him with exactly that, stole classified documents. We don't know what he intended to do with them or who he intended to sell them to. These are really bad things, right? He tried to overturn all of our democratic institutions and norms, and that's the case you want to make. 
if the first trial is about something really flimsy like falsifying business records, which most legal experts say that if a normal person did that, they would never be charged and put on trial for it, um, it, it just plays into Trump's hands, right? It gives him the ability to say, this is all a conspiracy against me. The deep state is out to get me. And the problem is he may win the, the business records case because it is a pretty flimsy case. If he does, it changes the narrative for all of the real cases that are vastly more more serious. Um, and so it's kind of like, you know, you get, you know, arrested for murder and arson. And instead, the first, first we're going to try you for shoplifting. Right. right? It doesn't right. make any fucking sense. Plus, you know, by the way, it's a bad analogy because Bragg doesn't actually ever try anybody for <laughs> Shoplifting in New York City, but but putting putting that aside, um, I understand why it was politically good for Alvin Bragg to indict Donald Trump. Right, people who vote in Democratic primaries, especially in New York City, especially in Manhattan, are incredibly partisan, incredibly left wing. They fucking hate Donald Trump, as do I, for that matter. Um, but so by indicting him, he probably secured his reelection in twenty twenty five. And look, Bragg had been having a very rocky tenure, and while he still still probably was going to win either way. Uh, he basically locked that in. So he took care of himself politically as politicians do. But if he insists on bringing his trial first, he is now taking care of himself politically at the expense of the entire country um, and our future. And that is widely irresponsible for him to do. And by the way, I think also too risky for him to do because this is the first criminal prosecution of a U.S. president in history. If he loses, all he will be remembered for for the rest of his life is the guy who lost. Whereas if you let Jack Smith go first, you do the more serious trials, you let Fulton County go, at that point, you have a few options. One is Trump's already been now you know, convicted of crimes that will have him in jail for easily the rest of his life. You don't need to proceed on this. Or you proceed, but if he's been convicted, this is the fourth trial instead of the first, it's going to get a lot less attention. So the risk to you is lower. And also keep in mind, if we do have a trial in New York City, that's a huge expenditure of resources because you're going to need tons and tons of NYPD to make sure there are no riots outside the courthouse when they could be doing more important things like monitoring Kai Sinat. So um, for a lot of different reasons, I, I really think that while I understand why this is a big political opportunity for Bragg, if he cares about more than himself, if he cares about the country, um, he will do the right thing. Is and, he going to follow your advice? You know, he might. And the reason I say this, I know Alvin a little bit. He's a decent human being. I don't think he's been a good district attorney at all. I did, well, I couldn't vote because I'm not a Democrat, but I wouldn't vote for him. Didn't but Before, I wouldn't vote for him again. Um, but I think the Trump thing was a political move to take care of himself. I get that, right? Um, but yeah, I, you know, if it was like, say, Chuck Schumer, like no fucking way. Chuck would do whatever's good for Chuck and the rest of the consequences would be irrelevant. Um, I think Alvin very well might do the right thing, but but I really hope he does. Um, do you want to pivot into valuations of, of yeah, uh, startups? Yeah, why don't you this sort of start with the questions you asked me to give a little context. Well, okay, so so um, I, the, the information had a bunch of uh, really interesting articles, a uh, very sort of pessimistic picture of the of the startup ecosystem right this second, um, based on uh, a bunch of sort of former uh, unicorns, which have like significant down rounds. Some are actually running out of money. There's an underwear company they talked about, a sort of startup um, company called Clutter that does uh, self-storage, things like that. Which, which was the underwear company? Do you remember? You know, it's funny. I, I, I meant to look it we up. We had an intern that then started an underwear company, so I'm just curious if it's the same one. 
It had a, it had, as you might imagine, a per, kind was of, a parade. That was the one that we uh, we didn't invest in it, but she she worked for us. It was not a great experience for for us. Um, but then she went on to found this what seemed like a successful underwear startup. So I'm I, okay, curious I'm, to know. It turns out there's a whole doing. bunch of underwear startups. Yeah, of course. So um, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll at a no, later date. I'm going to keep determine this because now we're wasting time. Um, Gen Z underwear startup near sale. It's, yeah, it's called Parade. Oh yeah, not shocking. <laughs> okay, at all. Did you like their concept, their underwear concept? Do you, um, do you wear Parade? I, I don't wear Parade, <laughs> and I had a bad experience. Uh, I said everyone on my team with the founder of Parade when she was our intern, um, and so I'm not shocked that things went bad. Okay. Well, yeah, they're, so they're they're nearing a sale, highlighting new phase of retail M&A. So um, I guess the, the, the point is this, so it's, it's, it's down rounds, it's some companies uh, running out of funding entirely and, and, and likely being sold for, for parts. So my question to you is, as an investor, is this is the kind of like rescue market of interest to you when when you have things that are these sort of falling knives? No, no, for, um, for a few reasons. Okay. Oh, sorry, Edward. I just no, no, that's fine. You, I, I uh, think that the, the bulk of the question was out. Yeah, and plus, you would already, we've already discussed this several times. Um, that's the one thing, Edward, that you don't know is that Hugh <laughs> and I spend days and days before the podcast going back and forth. So I kind of know what the questions are already going to be. But um, no, for for a few reasons. Um, reason number one is our model's a little different. We invest early stage seed, Series right. A. Um, we try to catch a company near the very beginning, not pre-product or pre-revenue, but not much far after that either. And then we try to use our skill sets to help the founder build the company. Um, and so we're, we're not rescue finan financiers. Uh, we don't buy distressed assets. And quite frankly, my interest in this whole thing isn't being an early stage investor and helping founders build really good companies. Um, to me, it's kind of the only form of finance that I find interesting. You know, everything else where you're just sort of moving numbers from the left column to the right column and skimming some off the top, which is, you know, all of investment banking, a lot of private equity, hedge funds, swaps, all kinds of other stuff like that. Um, that doesn't particularly interest me. I find that to be kind of boring. Um, so, uh, one, it's not our model. But two, I think the problem is this, which is, yes, there are down rounds, but you see a lot of venture funds that have been very, that are putting money in bridge rounds into startups, partly to keep them going and partly so they don't have to take the write down um, because then it makes their portfolio and their math and their numbers look really bad and that hurts their ability to raise their next fund. So just like the valuations of these companies have been artificially um, inflated the entire time, and we've talked this on the podcast before, um, the, the problem is this. People have raised venture capital funds that are vastly more money than they actually need to invest in tech startups. As a result, if you have a $500 million Series A fund, whereas our current fund that we're investing at is $140 million, which is you know around the right size in our view, um, you can't write a $2 million check or a $4 million check into a Series A company because, you know, you have to limit the portfolio over those $500 million to 20, 30 companies. Um, you can't have 70. You can't manage that. That means if you're going to write a much bigger check, the valuation has to be bigger in order for the math to work and for the founder to take the deal. And so companies, let's say Series A, that should be a $35 million company back in 2021, early 2022 – were 100, $150 million companies. And the problem is everyone was in on the joke all the way through the process. So the Series B investors, C, D, all the way through growth up until the IPO, everybody raised funds that were so big. And they did that because 
They get 2% of that total value every year in management fees. It's a reliable, risk-free income stream. And I think a lot of their views was it's so much money and income just on the management fees, it doesn't even really matter what the performance of the fund is because we're making all the money we need while we're taking no risk, right, just by showing up for work. And so as a result, valuations got so insanely inflated. You know, we work as sort of the best example, right? At one point, SoftBank under, underwrote it at a $47 billion valuation. Um, that e- even as a distressed asset, even if the existing inventors, investors were willing to take the write down, um, it's still going to be wildly overinflated. I was thinking about this, you know, this morning. The phrase "unicorn" is supposed to mean something so incredibly rare, rare magical, right? right? And every fucking startup's a unicorn now, right? Uh, and we have deca- well, they used to be, and we have right, or we've decacorns, and so like ultimately, there, you know, even we work, right? It, it was obviously a scam in certain ways, but overall, it, it was a real business with a legitimate business model, and they certainly had a massive physical presence, and they certainly did have real impact on sort of also a decent real product. Estate. I mean, in, yeah, it was good. Yeah, yeah. I agree. And, and so, was it a forty-seven billion dollar company? No. Was it a two billion dollar company like Regis? Yeah, probably so. It, most startups that are at least succeeding and generating revenue have some value. But the value that they actually have in the marketplace and the value assigned to them by venture capitalists are often so disparate that uh, it makes no sense whatsoever. So, yeah, if, if, if we want to return to the land of the rational where startups are actually valued based on their true revenue and a multiple of the next 12-month revenue that's, you know, 6, 8, 10x, not 20, 30, 50x. Um, then I think we get to a point where startups are accurately valued. They're not wildly overvalued, and funds can't play this sort of shell game that they're playing right now. But because right now they're still coming off of such ridiculous valuations, even if a Series E company that was valued at $7 billion is now valued at $4 billion, my guess is that once we did our math, we'd say this is a billion-dollar company, not a $4 billion company, and, and, and it still wouldn't work. There probably are bargains out there, right, though, because, I mean, it is this kind of like irrational exuberance to sort of irrational, you know, discouragement or irrational, whatever the other side of exuberance is. Like there's there's a there's a there should be an opportunity to find stuff. I know it's not. Your but model. only if they have a product market fit and meaningful market share. Right. If they're just a concept or like, hey, here's a new way to sell underwear or whatever it is. The, the reason why established companies sometimes get bought out of bankruptcy or restructured or whatever it is, is because they actually have revenue, they have customers, and there is a path to profitability for the company, maybe just not in the way that they were doing it. So yeah, if you had a startup, and that's why we work still around, right? If you had a startup with real product market fit, and people were going to continue to want to use the product, then I think that you could think about a, a turnaround or restructuring or whatever else. But if it's more like, hey, we're going to disrupt this market and we're going to change the norms and that will get us a lot of customers, if they haven't already done that, there's no real reason to try to rescue them. You just let them go bankrupt. One more question on this. Uh, just in your particular area and kind of regulatory expertise as applied to startups, um, have you ever seen a company just actually crash and burn because they botched the regulatory piece of it where the concept was good, but they didn't know what they were doing there? Is that it? 
Can you, do you have a case study of that in your head? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that you've had um, gambling startups that didn't quite understand the, the patchwork of regulations around that and uh-huh. have gotten shut down. Um, you had Airbnb copycats. Look, Airbnb frequently is not in compliance with the laws either, but they have so much market power that they're able to kind of negotiate that to a certain extent. Right. They've gotten shut down. Um, I've seen competitors to Uber come and go for, for the same reasons. So, yeah, there definitely is. And it's, it's, it's worth actually doing a little research. Or I'll give you one that, that we weren't investors in, but we did some consulting work for a company called My Table, which the idea was kitchen sharing. So, um, you know. I think I remember talking about right, that with you, yeah. Ride sharing, you get in someone else's car. Home sharing, you stay on their couch or you stay in their bedroom when they're out of town. Kitchen sharing, the idea is. Um, let's say you live alone and you're making lasagna. You can't make one square of lasagna, right? You got to make a pan of lasagna. And then what the fuck do you do with the rest of it? So they had this concept where people could effectively say, okay, I've got lasagna, five bucks a plate, and other people could buy it. Um, it was interesting in the sense that, you know, it was a way to sort of save some resources and, and bring people together. However, we have commercial food inspection for a reason. We have restaurant inspections for a reason, which is, because we believe that both the local health departments and the FDA do their job properly, we walk into any food establishment in this country not worried about getting food poisoning, right? We are, the food might taste bad, but we're, it's, it's pretty rare that we're going to get sick from it. You can't inspect everyone's kitchen, right? That's hmm. impossible. And so I was trying to, I found this sort of an interesting challenge. Um, I also learned the lesson of like, don't take on projects simply because they're intellectually interesting if the business <laughs> itself can't work. Um, but I thought it was an interesting challenge and started coming up with different regulatory frameworks for how it could work, whether it was, you know, live streaming the preparation or everyone wants to buy the ingredients from a centralized purveyor, whatever it is, um, and just ran out of time, right? right? The company ran out of money before we could come even close to changing any of the laws or norms because commercial food inspection is an incredibly longstanding established practice you know it's been around for at least 100 years probably more than that and so you know there are times where you're trying to change an underlying norm you may even be right about it um but fundamentally you only have as much money as you've raised and you can't most of your money has to go to engineering and marketing not regulation um and so uh, i do think that there is a, a a world where you know sometimes founders have good ideas but they're just not going to have the resources to see it through from a political standpoint. So we were going to talk about Miami, uh, which dropped in population. Let's do it really fast. I, I think we should go right to the recommendations because you have several recommendations and we do have a hard stop. Okay. So fine. I think we should go. Uh, and, and it's a good topic. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be back on the on the Miami subject okay. for those of you who cannot wait next week. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll give you. It's, it's about population declines in Miami and affordable housing. Okay, I'll stop talking about it. I did like research this morning. I know. Well, I look, read, we're going to use your research. I read, literally, I read legislation that passed in California impressive. as Very a impressive. model of what I think Miami should Look, we're do. definitely, we're going to use that research next week because AB you're violating two, other two, three, rules of mine by, or something like that. By, by having multiple recommendations. I want to give you plenty right, of time fair for enough. that. All right, I have four recommendations. Four recommendations. I know, it's going to drive you. I think I might have multiple just to drive you a little crazy. Yeah, sometimes. I think you did that. This is the problem with the over-preparation. Go ahead. Have, right. Give us four. So the first one's a, a product recommendation, which I normally don't do. It's usually a content recommendation. Um, and I'm not being paid by these people at all. Um, and I'm sure that this thing will ultimately turn out to be incredibly bad for you. But there's a product called Celsius. It is caffeinated water or caffeinated sparkling water, heavily caffeinated, 200 milligrams of caffeine. Um, oh, it's in a cup of coffee? 
It depends. You know, it could be like, I think a street coffee is like 70, 80. I think a large Starbucks could be 400, right? So okay. it, it varies. Um, but 200 is significant, right? And it's more than a Red Bull. Um, I fucking But no love, sugar. So but you, no sugar. Right. And it doesn't have the acidity of coffee, right? So I have, a, I, you know, have my kind of morning coffee ritual newspapers like a lot of people do. And I wouldn't want to give that up. But I don't feel great if I drink coffee all day. And yet I need caffeine. And so this product miraculous comes to me out. that you need caffeine, but go ahead. This product comes out, and uh, we started stocking it at the office. And I now drink. Uh, I've tried to limit myself to one Celsius a day. Are they flavored? Or they're... They are. They can be anything from cola flavor to berries. It's like spindrift with caffeine. Okay. That's what it is. All right. So recommendation number That's one. That's number one. Let's go number to number two. Number two, a uh, book that I, I did finish up over the weekend, uh, Colson Whitehead's new book, Crook Manifesto. It's really good. Like Alvin Bragg, a Trinity graduate. Um, it is a really good book. He is just, it's about, you know, uh, Harlem in the 1970s. And uh, a, I'm going to read that. Fan, you know, a particular main character and his, his, you know, he's kind of partly a crook, partly not a crook. Um, but just the characters are so vibrant and vivid and fun. Um, he's just, just an incredible writer, as they would say in the cliches, working at the top of his game. Yeah, this um, is excellent. Third. Uh, I listened to a really good podcast about Bernie Getz. You would like this. So um, it's on Audible. You have to use Audible specifically for it. Um, I don't know if you have to pay for it or not. But um, it's a six-part podcast examining the entire Bernie Getz situation from kind of the history before all the way through kind of the the aftermath and even where Getz is today. Um, Is he on it? He's not on it, okay. although they have audio from the trial right. and they have audio from his police interviews and things like that. He did not come off well at all. It certainly has a... Did that surprise you? No, not really. But I think the reason why it was interesting timing was the Daniel Penny Jordan Neely right. situation in the subway a few months ago, six months ago, where a former Marine put a chokehold on someone that was threatening passengers and killed him. And there was a big debate about whether or not this person should be indicted for murder, for manslaughter, for nothing. And it was very reminiscent of right. the, the Gets. And as New York City seems to, even though crime is, you know, statistically okay, it feels less safe. Like I said, you know, as, as we talked about a few weeks ago, there was a shooting right outside the podcast window where I'm looking out the window right now, and there's just trash thrown all over the street. Well, what's terrible is that there were these trash bags there, then the trash collector came, and then he left what is a still significant amount of trash. A ton of right trash, right? Which is, honestly, it's, you know, we're going to have to clean it up because I don't want, it, it would deter people from wanting to come into my store, yeah. right? And so um, when the city feels dangerous and dirty, it breeds conditions that allow people like Bernie Guest to decide that they should be taking the law into their own hands. For the listeners who are too young to remember this, Bernie Getz in 1983 or four um, shot four young black men on the subway. He said they were trying to mug him. They said that they were not. Um, he said they had sharpened screwdrivers. Apparently, they did have screwdrivers, but not sharpened. They were trying to pop open. Has anyone ever sharpened a screwdriver? Well, the idea was to, to uh, I th- at least what they claimed they were going to do was pop open video arcade machines instead oh. of quarters. Oh, okay. Um, that, that was and the thing it became, it just gripped New York, yeah. subway vigilante, global news. Um, and it does feel a little bit like, you know, some of those days are coming back to us. So fascinating podcast. Okay, wait, I'm a little surprised. You listen to all six episodes. Yeah. At normal speed. Yeah. You know, it's funny you would think, but I I don't really, you don't like the 1.2. No, no. I'm amazed. So Bradley listened to a six part podcast. Here's why it worked out well because a little blown and it was all over the weekend because you were trapped in your apartment, trapped in my apartment. 
and the you need a break from your book. Yeah, so I would bang out like say a thousand words, right? Yeah. Fifteen hundred words, gets. and then I needed a break, right? Okay. My head just like, and I, I didn't matter how many Celsius I drink. <laughs> after a certain number of words, I need like thirty to sixty minutes something of else. not something, something else. else. Yeah, so yeah. I would play Rummy Cube or 10, 4, 2048 bricks on my, Billy Joel. on my yeah some some Billy Joel and then finally back to Fat Boy Slim some caffeinated and some water worrying about the people the, the millennials across the street of the Gen Z what a weekend were. yeah <laughs> and and listen to all six episodes and the final one is a show that's resumed last night I think you must like the show Winning Time on Max you know I don't like Winning Time but go so. ahead so it's about so what I've learned is I like historical fiction on TV right right which I didn't know about myself until recently but um, in the same way that I've been plugging the Wu Tang show on who you know for, for months now um it is a fictional recreation of the los angeles lakers in the 1980s season one was about magic johnson's first year with the team the same year that jerry bus bought the team um kareem was sort of the mainstay and they end up winning it all and the really exciting part is that kareem gets hurt during the finals magic who's the point guard plays center in game six and dominates and wins that was the first episode of the season that was the first season oh, right, it was about right, that okay, right. this is now about the aftermath the next season and of course there's trouble in paradise um so the who, who the, the new season started uh last night i watched the first episode i enjoyed it um i recommend it all right bradley that was a great episode your preparation i think is totally you think fair. it worked out i really so, think so it then has. the last thing i really wrote down everything Please rate and review us. Um, please come to PNT Knitwear if you want some books or some Don't coffee. mind the trash on the, on Don't the mind sidewalk. The It'll be gone street, by the time you get here. Hopefully. And uh, if you like what you hear, then please consider pre-ordering my novel. Uh, it's called Obvious in Hindsight. Thanks.